Isaac. Arturius Maximus. We're back. What's happening? Yeah. Back, <laughs> we back. We back. back. We back. How you doing, man? I would say I haven't seen you in a while or talked to you in a while, but I talk to you all the time, so. Yeah, I, I'm good, man. I um, <laughs> I was fighting a cold, fighting a cold for about two weeks. What you been doing though since uh, but you 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 done with that? But what you been doing since the uh, the mad unreal break? You've been consuming a lot of unreal material, I'm sure, right? Uh, yeah, I got through. I finally it took me a while too, but I got through Star Wars Rebels, mm-hmm. and um, I mean they're only four seasons, but it's like the 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 individual episodes and some of them man are just really just really rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I think we're gonna we're gonna have to do something Rebels. I mean we're late. Both of us are late. Um, I'm almost through it, but I think that we are gonna have to do something Rebels like special. The the rumor is that the the next animated you know thing after the Clone Wars is gonna be a sequel to Rebels coming out this fall fall 2020. So maybe we do something this summer or preceding that, you know, um, a Rebels special or something like that. Because I, I'm with you. I, I, I thought I was ready for Rebels. Um, yeah. I wasn't ready for Rebels, especially yeah. seasons three and the, this season four that I'm halfway through. I, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. And uh, because you haven't finished, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it for you. Um, yeah, I, I got. I give myself about five days. I'm gonna be done with that. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm, and then I'm I'll tear just through these next like take, 10, 15 episodes. <laughs> yeah, and then I'll just speak freely. But um, <laughs> but I see some connections with um, characters in Rebels and uh, Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Um, and not so much uh, character to character, but concept to concept, and how certain events in Rebels link up to. Uh, certain certain events and reveals in Mandalorian that could very likely be further explored in Mandalorian season two. So it, it's going to mm-hmm. be it'd be an interesting conversation to have. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's yeah it's going to be a good fall for them if that if the rumor is true and this next animated series is going to come out this fall, then yeah you'll have mm-hmm. that and you'll have Mandalorian season two, which I'm guessing. I think Mandalorian season one was was that eight episodes or ten episodes? I think it was, it was eight. eight. Right? It was eight. Yes. I'm thinking they're probably going to bump that up to two. I mean the ten for the ten, uh, yeah for the uh, for the mm-hmm. for season two. You would think, you know, you would think they're going to bump it up. So we'll see. But yeah, it's going to be a good fall for them if that's the case. And then not even mentioning all the MCU stuff, but just in terms right. of Star Wars, yeah. And um, Kevin Feige is involved in both properties, Mandalorian, and he's uh, supposed to be at least he's supposed to be back for uh, Rebels. Oh, you talking about uh, you talking about um, uh, Dave Filoni? You said Kevin. Feige. Yeah. I was about to say, wait a minute, Kevin Feige with Mandalore. You you just excited a whole lot of people right there unnecessarily and prematurely. But we talk um, so much about Marvel and everybody. Yeah. It's like although although Kevin Feige, you know, the rumor or he is doing. It's not even rumor. He's doing you know the Star Wars film. Um, he's going to produce the Star Wars film. Whether or not that's going to be the 2022 film or not is up in the air right now. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, it, it would be interesting. So you just said something that's kind of got me thinking now. What if Feige got because, you know, they're bringing the MCU so deeply into or they're tying the MCU together. Um, so intrinsically with what's going to happen with the television series, with the Disney. Plus yeah. Series. Yeah. Because so I've got that on of, my mind. Right. They're kind of eliminating that line between cinematic and you know streaming so it would be interesting to see okay what if that influence bleeds over into you know star wars and then you have kind of like this next era of star wars storytelling is going to be a 
uh, intrinsic involvement between what's happening on the streaming service and what's happening in the cinema. That that would be interesting. So yeah, you, you touched on something right there. Inadvertently. Yeah, and, well, a side note. I mean, I and it's probably why I made the slip. But you know, I've been thinking about um, Wandavision. Mm-hmm. That is way more interesting to me than it was when we first talked about it after they did their just because um, that one clip yep mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I said it on twitter that those of those clips falcon winter soldier looks very cinematic i mean almost looks like a movie um and i'm I'm hoping 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 that it's going to have strong elements of espionage in it yeah um, that it's going to be a spy thriller mm-hmm. um which i would love um uh, so i'm hoping that's the route they're going and bringing back uh nemo um, but then, yeah, uh, WandaVision just looks weird and it looks, I mean, mm-hmm, I mean that as mm-hmm. a compliment. It just looks mm-hmm. really, right, right, like, right. what the hell is this? Um, so yeah. And then, uh, that little half second they showed a Loki, I was like, okay, this is old Loki. You know what I'm saying? This is, this ain't new Loki. This is old Loki. Yeah. It's like we getting going straight sinister, which I'm, I'm happy for as well. I'm just not ready to, to, um, give in just on a, on a look. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You said that I mean, about WandaVision, though. Remember, you saw it was well, the, it was the logo type. I, I can't. I yeah, can't it was logo. It was logo. Um, yeah. And you didn't like the Loki logo type. I didn't. I didn't. But I do like the little clip I saw. That little See? line. You so know, it's I'm like we've just we've just crossed down. over. Yeah, we just reversed, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's. You know what? Let's just hope it's all good. Let's hope it's right. all good. So okay. So what else is uh? Yo, one quick note. Um, one thing I've done since over the break over the MU break over uh, January, basically. Speaking of The Mandalorian, it did, you know, the conversation last fall was, you know, oh, it's a Western, it's um, a samurai thing, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And one of the references that constantly got thrown out was uh, Lone Wolf and Cub. Mm, yeah. I had read bits and pieces of Lone Wolf and Cub a long time ago, but it inspired me to actually go back and find. So I went to uh, my local comic shop, um, First Day of Comics on 55th Street, High Park, um, South Side of Chicago, and they uh, they had some Lone Wolf and Cub. They didn't have the they didn't have the first one I think because there's Omnibus. You know, there's like you know mm-hmm. these huge you know thick little mangas or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, I got the third one. So I saw I, I basically I started reading Lone Wolf and Cub, um, the original, okay. and uh, wow, wow, yeah, wow, highly recommend it. Um, I'm gonna go back and get the first one. Second, I'm gonna go through the whole series. Um, nope. How old are those comics? Those, I believe, I'm th- I'm thinking, was it 70s, 80s? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I believe 70s, late 70s, 80s, I think. Um, and then very popular, you know, obviously in Japan. And Frank Miller said that um, he read them, but he didn't read them because he didn't read Japanese. And, you know, when they first were out, they weren't in English. Um, so he got influenced just from the visual style and following the story. And that kind of mm-hmm. um, influenced him with what he did with Batman and what he did with um, his series, which was called Ronin. So and then he, he actually when Dark Horse adapted them and, you know, translated them into English, uh, Frank Miller did the uh, the covers. Um, so that was the, the one I have. It's a Frank Miller cover. Um, but the uh, the original writer and original artist and so it's it's just it's very engrossing and you can see the the, the influence um, that it had on on other genres including Mandalorian so yeah it's cool I recommend it for anybody if you want to go back and, and, and check those out um, go to your local comic shop and ask for it so yeah what else is going on what we got going on now well we got a new segment coming up oh yeah there's um, a certain movie coming out in, in a few weeks it's still a small little movie in about a month or so that we may have some interest in 
Yeah, something about some numbers. <laughs> um, <laughs> Numerology, right? Right. The show you, this this show you're listening to uh, is being released on the 19th of February, and two days from now, from this show on the 21st, uh, we're going to release our, a special beginning of the special segment that we're doing called 007 and Counting. This mm. is something that we've been talking about um, the last few shows before the break. We're going to count down to Eon's 25th James Bond film with seven special episodes uh, that are outside of our regular main show. So um, mm, I like this. So the first installment of 007 and Counting that's going to release on Friday, uh, it's called we're calling it Universal Exports. And we're looking at Bond in the age of the MCU and Star Wars franchise. And, uh, you know, and we ask and discuss whether or not Bond needs a universe of his own, if he already has a universe. And um, comparing and contrasting uh, Bond films uh, in the age of um, heavily influenced films by CGI and based on comics and based on fantasy. So essentially, people are going. People are going to get two. They may get two Madden reels in one week. So like next week, you get the main mm. show on Wednesday the nineteenth, and then Friday the twenty first, you get double O Madden reel double O seven and counting. That's that's like a early or I guess a late early Christmas gift for the for the fans, man. That's nice. <laughs> that's nice. Yes. So, yeah, so you're I'm, welcome. I'm excited. Counting down, counting down to No Time to Die. I'm, I'm really excited about this, and I think that these seven episodes, um, I've got a sneak peek at what we're going to be talking about for the next seven, those seven episodes of 007 and Counting. So I'm excited. I know the fans are going to love it. Um, I look forward to their feedback. But yeah, it's it's going to be cool looking at these films and you know diving into the Craig era and so on and so forth. So hey, let me ask you this: Have you heard? Um Billie Eilish's song, her theme song. I have. I have. I've listened to it several times. What'd you think? Um, listen, the first time I heard it, I'm not going to lie, I was very, very, very underwhelmed. Um, I was like, okay, this is like Sam Smith, Writings on the Wall Part 2. And when I went on Twitter, you know, a lot of people were saying, you know, the same thing as I, I did. But then I listened to it mm-hmm. two more times, I think, initially. And I was like, okay. And I, I put this on my Twitter. I said, you know, this, I could see how this song was going to, it's going to sound very good and look very good, you know, so to speak, over the opening credits, you know. Yeah. Um, it does give a lot of information about the film. I mean, it, it it basically tells you that Madeline Swan is somehow either directly responsible or indirectly responsible for Vesper's death, you know, Um I mean, the lyrics are strongly pointing to that possibility that that is her secret that we keep seeing in all these trailers, you know, uh-huh. her secret is revealed um, that she through through Mr. White, her father and through quantum organization inspector something has something to do with, you know, um, uh, Vesper's death. So it, that, I say I'd say that the, the theme song is sounds appropriate. I was just for me, man, I was really hoping for something more aggressive for mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Daniel Craig's last, you know, outing as Bond. I was hoping for something more in the lines of um, Chris Cornell's You Know My Name from Casino yeah. Royale. I yeah. was hoping even, I was even hoping, you know, okay, so also something in the lines of uh, Another Way to Die, which I think mm-hmm. is not, a, a that song has a lot of flaws to it, but it, I, I like the energy behind that song. Mm-hmm. Even something like Skyfall, Adele Skyfall, 
you know, which was is not a, a quote unquote aggressive song, but you know, I guess we're getting into a little um, TMS, the music snobs territory here, but it does, it lends itself to a, a strong, it's, it's a very strong ballad, you know, mid-tempo ballad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was hoping for something more definitive, you know, but I think that, you know, they got Billie Eilish listening because they wanted to get that fan base. You know what I'm saying? This, yeah, right. She's got like, you know, a gazillion followers on Instagram. She's you know she's she's it right now um mm-hmm. for for especially for young millennials and for generation z yeah. she's it she um, and her brother phineas uh yeah he co-wrote it right right so I, I understand why they got her and i'm not mad at that it's just that that musical style to me is much more atmospheric than it is definitive songwriting and melody mm-hmm. um and so it's more of a mood you know it's like mood music and it's like I wanted something more aggressive and like just grab you by the throat and be like, look, this is what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, it's a pretty song. I think that it's, it's going to, I think it's already number one. I don't know if it's, you know, number one billboard, but I saw it trending number one mm-hmm. somewhere. So mm-hmm. um, I listened to it several more times after that initial couple times. And I found myself singing or humming the chorus, you know, the fool me mm-hmm. once, fool me twice. Is this death or paradise? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's going to stick. So, it could be worse. It's not. It's not. It's not as bad as Sam Smith, man. I, that writing on the wall. I was like that. That was just like, come on. Yeah, I didn't care for that. Yeah. Now I was. I was personally offended because I'm a Radiohead fan, and their theme for mm. Spectre got rejected in place mm. of that. And Radiohead Spectre um, is um, well. It's a better song, but yeah. it gives you that variety of approach mm-hmm. to the themes, mm-hmm. and I thought would fit better. Um, in that regard, along with Chris Cornell's uh, theme for Casino Royale, Adele's theme for Skyfall. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I know Jack White and Alicia Keys did the theme for Quantum of Solace. And, so, yeah, but that song would have been better. It would have been sung by somebody else, I think. Nonetheless, it would have given that, that, that variety. Mm-hmm. And with um, Billie Eilish's theme um, has the vein of writing on the wall and, and, and even Skyfall to less, less of a degree, less of a degree mm-hmm. that, um, keeps the film somber before you even. Yeah. Yeah. There is you know, that, get to that it. melancholic feel to it. Um, no, yeah. my youngest is, uh, uh, a Billie Eilish fan. Um, and, uh, I have to credit her for me, for getting me to correctly, pronounce Billie Eilish's last name. You know? How were you, how were you I, saying it? I was saying Eilish. I didn't know. <laughs> okay. I was saying Billie uh, Eilish, you know, and she would hit me she, like that. Nuh-uh. Right. It's Eilish. Eilish. <laughs> like eyelash, uh, but Eilish. And I'm like, yeah. okay. Flashback. Um, I'm sure you corrected your parents on somebody's name back in the day. All them all them hip-hop names. You know, I know you was correcting right, people back right, in the right. day. Right, right, right. Mom, yeah. Gangstar is not a person. <laughs> it's a group. <laughs> <laughs> it all it all comes back around, man. It all comes back around. It's all full circle. It all comes back um, around. Um, but I, you know, I, I bring her up because, um, you know, in the car, mm-hmm. you know, we're listening to a good amount uh, of uh, Billy and, and and Phineas, and Phineas mm-hmm. produces all of uh, her music. Mm-hmm. Um, and this theme is outside of her element. Really? Okay. Yeah. It, um, it 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 stays within the it stays within the lines of the coloring book in that in that from what I've heard you know she 
Billie has an atmospheric approach to her music. Mm-hmm. Um, but she does have a good amount of that drive, that mm-hmm. that 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 edge mm-hmm. to a lot of a lot of her production and the themes in which she's discussing. Um, and she does strong... talk about love and lost love and and right. you know and relationships and um, um, uh, that that fit within the lyrics of of No Time to Die. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did think that, particularly after I, because I'm like, this sounds familiar. And I first went to Skyfall mm-hmm. and Which thought, okay, well, both, well, they templated Adele's, um, you know, vocalizing in certain certain ways. Mm-hmm. And then I went, then I, you know, went forward, listened to Sam, and I'm like, oh, because there's the whole chord structure right, right. that happens too, you know. And I thought, okay, so maybe, maybe, because... Uh, Billy and Phineas are phenomena, right? Okay. Um, but they needed to scale. They needed to go to Bond scale. Right, right. And they don't do Bond scale on the albums that, that well, she only has one album, but, you know, EPs. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they haven't done Bond scale yet, mm-hmm. right? So it made sense to me that they would template this song based on, uh, you know, previous work that fit somewhat within her realm yeah and there's there's obviously in, in bond, billy's realm yeah there's bond cues through the song you know what i'm saying this some of the strings and then mm-hmm. some of them i feel a little bit some of the horns and the, it's like some of it is a little bit too obvious and then that last little twang at the end is like by the right. way this is a bond song right yeah they could have just played the bond theme right there if mm-hmm. they wanted to but I'm not mad at it, man. It's, it's cool. It's just, it didn't, yeah, I'm I not mean, Chris, Chris um, Cornell's, you know, my name is still the reigning champ of the Craig era, in my opinion, by a wide margin, you know, and then behind it, I think is, is, is Skyfall. I would have loved to, to hear Adele sing, um, this no time to die song, you know, so I would love to hear mm, her take on mm-hmm, the song with mm-hmm. a stronger vocal. I think that breathy at times it's, it sounds like, um, Billy is, 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 is breathing the lyrics more than she's singing them. Well, um, that's, that's that's part her of her style. technique. Yeah, that's her technique. Which I'm yeah. I'm not mad at it because I think it, it works in some places, but for this in particular, for a Bond song, I really want to hear somebody just like again, just be like you know, just just sang, you know, just mm-hmm. sang this song. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's what I want to hear. So I would I would love to hear Adele's take on this or another singer's take on you know what this will sound like, um, and maybe somebody will do it in concert or somewhere, and somebody will record it, but. Overall, yeah. I think it's going to work. It's going to sell the film. I think it's going to chart. I think it's going to do very well. So, yeah, to me, and one of the other best things I think that came out out of this, um, that thirty second or fifty second clip, sure. where from double from the uh, official double o seven, kind of like the preview, uh-huh. yeah, the preview of the song where they give you more, yeah, and they give you more of the film. And man, you you know you see Bond standing in front of uh, a grave and we're I, I'm assuming that that's Vesper's grave mm-hmm. and you know that look on his face and he's looking he comes back to the hotel he's looking at Madeline I'm just like okay is this going to be a sequel from of of Casino Royale and to a degree a, a sequel of Quantum of Solace mm-hmm. and if that's what it ends up being I'm going to be very happy because those are yeah. you know those films are very close to, are close to my heart so um yeah yeah so okay bottom line 007 and counting coming um the mad and real 007 and counting seven episodes counting down to no time to die uh begins on february 21st so 
Yeah, you want to jump into so, the main uh, show? So to the audience, I've, yeah, I do. But to the audience, I, I really would like to um, solicit some feedback um, about how you feel about the theme, particularly from uh, from listeners who uh, are really into um, Billie Eilish. Right. All right. Um, you want to do it, man? It's been it's been a, it's been a while. You ready? Yeah. Let me let me let me get a sip of water. <laughs> Warm up them vocal cords. What episode is this? Number ten. We in double digits. We oh. official now. It's too late. You can't go back. <laughs> if you wanted to go back, it's too late now. We're double digits. <laughs> we got to keep going forward. All right. This is Mad Unreal, episode ten. Let's go. Mad thoughts. Mm. Um, mad thoughts. Mad thoughts. Yeah, three or, four, three, or four, three or four. Three or four. Yep. Yep. Okay. Mad thoughts. Every once in a while, we'll um, kind of corral a few, three or four things that uh, are kind of floating on out there and um, get our thoughts what's about one? it. What's, um, what's the first mad thought for today? Um, your boy Robert Pattinson. The reveal. So, Director Matt Reeves released did a did a uh, like a, almost like a video reveal kind of a um, teaser, mm-hmm. not even a reveal really. I, I think it's a teaser of Robert Pattinson in uh, the bat suit for the Batman film. Mm-hmm. That when's it releasing again? Is it releasing this year or twenty twenty one? Twenty twenty one, I believe. Yeah, okay. June. I don't know. I can't remember the exact date, but June twenty twenty one, I believe. Yeah. So yeah, he, he was, I'm trying to figure out why it was red. Okay, here's but here's my immediate question about that. Um they've only they announced filming maybe th- 3 weeks ago. They announced the start of filming maybe 3 mm-hmm. weeks ago. So this movie is I mean early production, early, you know, filming. So this I think this was from a screen test though last, you know, summer or something like that. Yeah. Um but let me ask you this though, man, for you, and I, I put this out there on Twitter, but I don't I don't care, I can't remember what your response was, but for you does this, you know, do things like this take away from the movie magic, you know, because before for Twitter, before Instagram, before, you know, shit, before the Internet, you know, yeah. we didn't get anything. We we maybe got some fanzines and some, you know, exclusive behind the scene photos and blah, 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 and magazines. But for the most part, you saw what was happening when you saw it on screen in the theater for the first time. So for mm-hmm. you, does this does this take away at all from that whole you know, the mystique, you know, the movie magic of seeing when you see things like this so early and so, so deeply behind the scenes. Well, you know, we've talked about this a little bit and it was in the context I remember of, of Bond and, um, um, you know, the Instagram shorts of him, you know, mm. stepping out of the car and right. all of that. Uh, I, I, I generally don't want to see, you know, every detail or or almost continual updates that give away mm-hmm. what the movie is either about who's in it you know um um but even just even, i'm just saying in terms of i guess mystique. you asked ask about the mystique so so although this clip this was review- very mystique filled you know yeah this this reveal in and of itself, it didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, it got me a little more excited about about the film, and it got me more excited about Pattinson. 
as Bruce Wayne. Mm. Um, the Batsuit, <clears throat> Batman is really interesting because he's connected directly to the suit. And something that doesn't happen with other superheroes, Superman is the one that comes closest to mind. Superman's costume pretty much stays the same. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some texture in it. Maybe the cape is longer. Maybe the cape is shorter. You know, maybe mm-hmm. there's some shine on the boots or some, you know, silver piping or something. But Superman always is going to look like Superman. Batman doesn't follow that model exactly. You know, mm-hmm. Batman is like Batman is like a BMW. Mm. You're always going to have these signature lines. You're always going to have the signature grill, right? But there could be either a a modified exterior, a radical exterior, a throwback exterior. Right. There's and, been a lot of evolution and change in his his right. costume over cinematic, right? Yeah, right. Even television, you know? yeah. I remember the, uh, I think it was 2014 when there was a similar kind of reveal for Ben Affleck mm-hmm. in, in uh, Batman versus Superman. And it was like, what is this? You know, mm-hmm. he looked like a coal miner or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when you, when you see the Batsuit, it, it, it defines what kind of Bruce Wayne you're going to get. See, it's interesting that you say that because the yeah, the bat suit to me defines the type of Batman you're gonna get. But yeah, and I think that's I think that's what you mean because yeah, the difference, yeah. See, like with the Bruce with the Bruce Affleck, the Ben Affleck thing, I thought he was a very good Batman. I did not like him as Bruce Wayne at all mm-hmm. because I felt that he was the same guy, you know. Whereas Christian Bale, I think, did the best job because. He embodied Batman and then he was a great Bruce Wayne. And there was a yeah. clear, there was a line between those two people. You know, you saw yeah. that metamorphosis, yeah. um, not just because he changed his voice, but because of who he, you know, how he, he carried himself. And he even did Bruce Wayne as a young, as a, you know, a college student. I thought he did mm-hmm. that very well in Batman mm-hmm. Begins. Um, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. There is a, there is a, a, a huge variation in these bat suits. You know, if you go all the way back to, um, Adam West uh, up to you know Michael Keaton's Batman, mm-hmm. um, then you know Christian Bale's and uh, Ben Affleck's. <clears throat> There's a huge change. Mm-hmm. I think this bat suit looks like its it, its closest cousin is is Bale's is uh, Christopher Nolan's Batman because I saw when he did the turn, you saw kind of the moving armor like the plates of armor, yeah. um, which is a feature from uh, the Christian Bale uh, the Dark Knight. Remember he even mm-hmm. says. Um, Lucius Fox explains it to him saying, listen, you know, these are movable plates and, you know, you have less protection from, you know, uh, I think gunshots or whatever, but you'll be able to move better. Um, So it seems like it's following that, which makes sense. You know, Pattinson's build, I'm sure they've been, you know, having him in the gym and taking all types of shit to to bulk him up a little bit. But um, he's more in the line of a Christian Bale than a bulkier type of person. So. Mm Um, a Christian Bale in Dark Knight, I should say. Um, now, here's here's the thing, though, man. Somebody, one of our our, our followers, pointed this out on Twitter. Um, he kind of looks like <laughs> he kind of looks like Daredevil. He kind of looks like Charlie Cox's Daredevil when he turns, especially that cow, mm-hmm. the way his jaw is set. Um, he kind of looks like it, it kind of looks like they are. I'm not going to say they took from Daredevil, but he, there seems to be some influence there um, mm-hmm. from Charlie Cox's Daredevil, which is interesting to me because there's a lot of parallels you could draw between 
Daredevil and Batman, the characters. So it's kind of interesting to see or kind of cool to see that similarity between the cinematic or the the uh, film and television versions of these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but you sound like you 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 dug it. You 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 were pleased. It, it kind of assuaged some doubt or worry maybe that you had about uh, how Bat- uh, Pattinson would look in the suit. Um. Yeah, because I've still and I, I'm past it. I'm past it. But I was one of those people who immediately thought of 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 Pattinson's portrayal of Edward Cullen in the Twilight franchise. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, how's this guy gonna be? Batman, mm-hmm. you know, but then what it did was it it got me to focus on the additional work that he'd been doing. Right, you know? yeah, he's done a lot of quote unquote, you know semi independent films. Yeah, and I can <clears throat> and I and I can see how he can. I see now how he could do the character, mm-hmm. and um, from what you know, from what I've seen from the suit, um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's very promising. There's it's a very lean, promising. there's a leanness. To, I mean, we only got like you know chest up, you know, barely, probably mid chest. Yeah. Up, so we didn't get the whole suit, but there's a there's an applied, I guess, leanness to the suit. Um, again, mm-hmm. not the bulky um, Bruce or uh, Dark Knight, um, Re- Dark Knight Returns type suit that uh, Ben Affleck wore. Yeah. Um, so, it's definitely not a George Clooney Batman. Yeah, it's definitely not that. See, I skipped no, over all the no I nipples, all the no. George yeah, you forgot all about. <laughs> I skipped <laughs> right. over all, about all that. Yeah, yeah. Purpose, probably subconsciously, I just I blocked all that out. Um, so yeah, it's definitely not. It's definitely not going that route. It's definitely going the more Nolan, you know, Ben Affleck realistic type route. Um, and you know, this film is supposed to rely more heavily on Batman's character as a detective. You know, mm-hmm. as, as the detective, as the world's greatest detective. So mm-hmm. I think not to say there's not going to be obviously, you know, there's obviously going to be action. There's going to be fighting. Right. Right. But I think that we're we may get a more um, thoughtful, for lack of a better term, Batman, mm-hmm. a more mm-hmm. um, reflective Batman, someone who you could actually see in the Batcave standing there looking at a screen or, you know, experimenting with some shit. Um, and you spend a few minutes of camera time on him without moving yeah. around or, you know, flashing to something else. Um, so that may play into how the suit looks, um, something that can be, you know, worn in repose almost. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it's cool. Now, I, here's the here's the thing, though. What are the next looks that we're going to because this is a new world? You know, I think they're filming primarily on a set in London. I'm not sure how much they're filming in real world environments. I don't know. Um, I haven't heard them about any, them about coming. I haven't heard anything about them coming to Chicago or New York, or I think maybe they're filming in London. I don't know what's going to double as Gotham City, um, but I think he's going to Matt Reeves is going to try to build his own world. So the next look that I'm looking forward to is I want to see what Gotham is going to look like. You know, mm-hmm. I want to see what you know what that cityscape or what even the texture of it is going to be. Back, are we going back to the? Um, the Tim Burton style, you know, that type of, you know, very Close obvious, set, very obvious. Yeah. yeah, Very obvious soundstage, you know, industrial, you know, are we doing that or is he going to at least try to make it mirror, you know, a real world environment like, like Nolan did by shooting mm-hmm. in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be interesting to me. And then I want to see, you know, Catwoman, you know, what's, what's my girl going to look like? But um, see, that's, that's where, that's where I, I don't want to see everybody. You don't want to see her. You're going to see everybody by the time of the film, but you're saying you don't want to see everybody. I know, I know, I know, I know. That's what, well, that's, that's what I mean. It's like, it's like, it's like Batman, you got to get right. 
Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean? and and because because there was, I guess, backlash. You could call it backlash when the announcement was made that that Pattinson was going to be the next Batman. You know, mm-hmm. uh, a reveal like this is 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 a statement. It's like here's here's where we're going with mm-hmm. back up. Right. <laughs> because because by this. and large, by, yeah, because by and large, the public has accepted this and mm-hmm. is getting excited about 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 this, about the 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 reveal that Matt Reeves has has released. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I know it's going to happen because we're in we're in the 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 social culture, you know, Instagram, YouTube reveals where where we where we want the audience wants these previews before the actual preview you know Mm. of the film and but but that's where it that's where it gets to be uh um that's where it that's where it takes the mystery out of it that's Mm. where it takes the surprise out of it Mm. you know yeah i i agree with you i think that there are times it's it's very difficult if you want to and we yeah you're right we did talk about this with some of the bond stuff it's very difficult to you know stay in the dark um if, especially if you are active on Twitter or, or Instagram or any of the mm-hmm. social media platforms. But I, I agree with you. I, some of this does cross the line and takes that magic out of it, especially if you see some really raw shot, you know, like a uh, stuntman yeah. or, you know, somebody on craft services took a picture of, you know, them filming, you know, and it's like just Batman standing out, you know, next to a uh, food services truck. And, you know, it's like broad daylight. It's like that mm-hmm. just, it just, it's, and it's from a, an iPhone picture, you know, it's like, yeah, that, that definitely takes some of it out of it. But I think that they can do it, <clears throat> excuse me, just by being careful. This, this was a good reveal in the sense that again, it only showed his upper torso, yeah. upper, upper torso. And it was highly stylized, you know, even yeah. though it was a screen test, it was like, you know, very, very stylized. He was in character. It wasn't like he was just Robert Pattinson in the suit. You know, hey, how do mm-hmm. I look? Mm-hmm. He turned around and it was obvious he was in Batman mo- mode. You know, he was in that 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 state of mind. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, I think if they do it like this, it could I could I could deal with more of this. You know, and I'm really curious to see more, even more so than Catwoman. Man, I'm really curious to see what um Paul Dano is going to look at like as the Riddler what what is the look of the Riddler going to be you know how and are they because that's going to that's going to explain a lot of the movie that's going to give the tone of the movie but if the Riddler is like in a three-piece gangster joint sure you know what I'm saying if he's suited up then it's like okay that's one way if he has some outfit that has question marks all over it mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. we know they're going in a different way so I feel mm-hmm. like I, w- I kind of want to see that to give me an idea of mm-hmm. the tone, so I don't have to spend the next year like, damn, what's the tone of this movie going to be? It's interesting that that we do this for film, but we don't like do this for music. I mean, for example, there wasn't like there wasn't like you know the four measures released of of the No Time to Die theme song three weeks ago. Like it's coming. Here we go. It's tone. Right, right. <laughs> you know, they but did, but they we did it like twenty four hours though. They did it twenty four hours before the song came out. They're like, here's the first like five seconds of you know two fans as whatever and it was like yeah but to your point yeah they don't do that they don't do that months in advance right yeah they should maybe they should i don't um, know but i want to see what i don't Dan know looked. i think it affects you know i i i i i i think it affects the process of creativity mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the it this way. What if, what if the, how we consume that creativity? What if this reveal went the other way? What if everybody hated it? Mm. You know, what if what if what if uh, the costume made people wish that he that Pattinson was in the the George Clooney nipple version <laughs> and ribcage rib six pack version of the Batman suit? Right. Yikes. Yikes. Do they change the suit? Probably. They probably do. Yeah, I see your point. Yeah, I see your point. It could it could impact. It's like it's almost like screen testing. You know, it's like literally screen testing with the audience, you know, playing the movie, getting feedback from the audience. And um, I, yeah, and I don't things. think I, I, you know, I don't think you can crowdsource that. I don't think I don't think it's a good idea to crowdsource creativity in that way. Mm, that, you're always going to have a screen test. You're always going to have a screen test. You're always going to have audience testing. You're always going to have these things. And 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 for decades, there have been endings that have been changed, middles that have been th- scenes that have been reshot mm-hmm. based on audience testing. But audience testing is, you know, uh, a, a couple hundred people in a, or a hundred people in a movie theater, mm-hmm. you know, not six million global opinions. Right. Yeah. It's hit or miss. It's hit or miss. Um, what did you think about the music, though? Did you pay attention to the music? Because that was I, Giancano. That was that's the guy. That's who's going to score this film. Uh, honestly, I, I, I didn't. When I was paying, I was, I was more fo- I was, focused on the look of it. I was, and I, you know what? I'm gonna go back and listen to it as well after the show because I was, I think I'm torn on it. Like I wasn't really. I don't know if I was really feeling it. I'm like, hmm, is this gonna be a taste of how this score is gonna be, or I don't know. So yeah, when you go back, check it. Out. I'm gonna do the same. Check it out. At the very mm-hmm. least, I gotta think it's gonna give a, a, a at least a, a head nod towards what. Um, Giancano's thinking for you know for the for the actual film so yeah very very early in this process man it's wild that they just started literally just started filming and they were getting not maybe not necessarily something from what they just shot but something you know of this of this production um, dropping so early in the in the the filming process yeah well let's move on um, <laughs> which completely contradicts my whole theory about how 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 uh, crowdsourcing isn't a good idea. Uh, mm. Birds of Prey, which has uh, had a had a ver- had a lackluster uh, opening during its first uh, weekend of, I believe it was thirty three million. Thirty three, yeah. Domestic. Mm. Um, Domestic studio projected forty five, and that was that was conservative. Moderate. Yeah, that, that was conservative. Yeah. And since that time, Warner Brothers has decided to rename the film Harley Quinn: colon, Birds of Prey. Um, and the films bounce back, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't have a lot of competition. I think for the this weekend or this this weekend that we're in right now, mm-hmm. which is its second weekend, and then I think the next weekend. Um, so there is a chance that this film could actually, you know, have some have some legs, basically, and and, and end up at least. I think it needs to make about two hundred and fifty mil to like balance out to like you know, recoup everything and be even and break even. But um, I think it could have some legs, man. I listen, I have not seen it yet. I plan on seeing it this week. I've heard good things. I think the Rotten Tomato score, not that that's, you know, the end all be all, but I think it's like 80 um, percent. I think that the reviews that I've kind of skimmed have said good things about this film. So I'm going to go check it out this week. But you have a theory. And I kind of want to hear you. You kind of explained this to me before, but I want to hear this theory of why. And we talked about this, I think, on a previous show. 
Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons you, you there's a reason that you feel maybe not the reason, but one of the reasons that this film maybe didn't perform as well as uh, the studio anticipated. Um, what is that? What's, what's your thinking behind that? Well, with uh, with Birds of Prey, the Harley Quinn film, um, Wonder Woman coming out in the summer and uh, Black Widow coming out in May. We could I think it's Memorial Day. Right. That Black Widow's coming out. I I I I I don't think that the audience as a whole are gonna support more than one female superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that because Black Widow has the most Wonder Woman has the most name recognition. Yeah. But Black Widow has the most street cred. She's got the <laughs> most crew because of the Avengers. Right. Because she ties into them. And the audience exposure to her and the I and the way that she ties in the MCU, you know, and and the idea that Tony Stark may make an appearance in this film, that Captain America may make an appearance mm-hmm. in this film, um, that it takes place uh, between Infinity War and no, is it play play between Infinity War and Endgame, or is it Civil War and Infinity War? Civil War and Infinity War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. Um, that it 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 keeps the good vibes going of the the last phase of the MCU, right? And there may um, be and something. And I think that that's the film that the audience is going to show up for. And there may and be it's something there come, that hints at the next phase, you know, because it's the beginning of the next phase. So it's like there may be something post credits or something that hints at what's going to happen in the Eternals or whatever else comes, you know, over the next couple of years. Right, and and you know, and I just think that audiences are just going to make a choice. You know, if you if you take it a little more binary and say, all right, well, of those three films, what what movie what movie are 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 women going to go see? Mm-hmm. Oh, now are you talking? Okay, here's here's why here's why I kind of I agree with you, but I'm kind of trying to wrap my head head around what you're saying. When you say what audience are women, what what movie are, are women going to go see or support? Are we talking about comic book women, comic book heads, or are we talking about you know general audience, mainstream? I'm saying general audience because okay. the comic book audience didn't, you know, the the money that was made by the by by the by the the Avengers movies, mm-hmm. and and granted, it's all the MCU, right? They're all Avengers at, at some level, but I'm just saying, you know, of that audience, those are not all comic book heads. Oh yeah, absolutely. I get you. Yeah, you so, know, Black Panther is the best example of something like that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because a you know it wasn't because all these comic book fans who are diehards like us, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, yeah, went to go yeah. see this film. Right. No, right. No, I, it had yeah. a broader appeal. And if you take it from a broader appeal, I don't think I don't think I don't think three female comic book heroes or characters, right? Mm-hmm are going to do well independently. It's going to be one. One's going to rise to the top. Mm-hmm. But conversely, if you have a Spider-Man movie, a Black Panther sequel, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, an X-Men movie or something like that to come out and all come out in 2020 or Thor, Thor, let's talk about something that's actually coming out, right? Spider-Man, mm-hmm. Black Panther, Thor, right? All three are going to do well. Mm-hmm. 
They may not yeah. make the same amount of money, but they're all three going to be within the same ballpark. We know this. Right. Do I, that I, with Wonder Woman, Black Widow, and, 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 and Harley Quinn. I think, you know, speaking of name, you know, that's part of that's that's the elephant in the room we can't ignore that the studio made a mistake obviously and not calling this harley quinn you know right um calling it birds of prey the fantabulous something something emancipation, emancipation of, of one harley, harley quinn. quinn yeah um right it's very creative um uh-huh. i applaud it but also this is you know in hollywood they make decisions from a business standpoint and from a business standpoint You've had this character in one film. She was the standout in Suicide Squad. Yeah. Um, so she got some name rec- name recognition. Then you got Margot Robbie playing her, which also gives her more name recognition because mm-hmm. people follow Margot Robbie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was a mistake not to call this film Harley Quinn, colon, Birds of Prey, which is what they've now changed the name to in the second week um, mm-hmm. to try to recoup mm-hmm. some of these losses. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's, that's said and done. Cool. To your point, I think that Listen, the base for all these films, and this is this is exactly what you just said. The base for all these films are the strong comic book head, you know, uh, quote unquote nerds who go to these films. Okay, that's the base. But then for the film to actually be successful and to reach, you know, 500 million, a billion dollars. Obviously, the mainstream fans have to be, you know, they have to go see these films. You know, it's not if you just get the comic book character, comic book heads in there, you ain't winning. You know, you got to get the mainstream people involved. That's that's said and done. I think this is kind of a case of comic book um, misogyny or comic book um, um, patriarchy coming back to haunt itself. You know, legendary or kind of baked in comic book patriarchy coming back to haunt itself. Because, listen, these comics were made, you know, back in the, you know, uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, even going Mm -hmm. into the 90s primarily by male creators you know you had mm-hmm. standout female creators some of our favorites in the 80s were written by women um and some illustrated by women but for the most part this was a male dominated field there's a lot mm-hmm. of misogyny in this and so when you, the storytelling came from a very male point of view therefore the fan base was very male oriented right. um and there were female comic book heads in the 70s 60s 70s and 80s of course there were um, but they were far outnumbered by the males who who were consuming, you know, um, art that was geared towards them. Mm-hmm. So I think that that base, you know, that's changed a lot now. There's a lot more female comic book creators than there were, you know, mm-hmm. 20 or 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I, I would say that the, 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 the genre still has a long way to go. Um, and so I think that that lack of... Uh, visibility or lack of presence a female presence and female point of view is starting to come back to haunt it a little bit because listen deadpool yeah this is a film that when it came out and was at 2016 or whatever um this was not a popular character at all you know mm-hmm. if you weren't a comic book head you didn't know who the hell deadpool was yeah um but comes out has a great marketing campaign that can't you know that needs to be said had a great marketing campaign um, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds did his thing there. Um, it was a great film also, um, but it came out and just, it killed it. You know, just not as overnight, this dude became like a, you know, household name. So mm-hmm. I think that there's something to be said about the inherent um, patriarchy and the inherent, you know, massaging that's existed in comics for a long time. I think it's coming to haunt itself a little bit. And I think for Birds of Prey, which again has been getting, 
good reviews and good good word of mouth um this is a case where listen you 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 can't just you can't put a character a female character out there that nobody is really latched on to strongly Mm -hmm. um and then bury her name in the title um and then the marketing really doesn't do anything to you know beat people over the head and tell them hey this is harley quinn it just didn't work it didn't work um and i think that this you know we can we can name a bunch of reasons but to me the main reason is kind of inherent to the comic book um genre and the the male domination of it um yeah. over the over the last 30 40 years so that needs obviously that needs to change and hopefully this is a sign another sign amongst all the other signs listen the black widow's coming out it's the first you know it's the second female led mcu film why is it taking so long? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The MCU has been around for 11 years now, 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't make any sense that this is, you know, the Black Widow, she should have had a film a decade ago. She should have got her film right after she appeared in uh, Iron Man 2. You know, right after that happened, we should have got a Black Widow film. People, mm-hmm. people wanted it. I wanted mm-hmm. it. I'm a strong Black Widow fan from her time in the Daredevil comics. Yeah. So, people wanted that and I think that's something that the MCU Kevin Feige and his team should have made happen a long time ago and I worry I'm really concerned about that film because I'm not you know we talked about it on a previous show I wasn't that hyped about the trailer I'm, I'm thinking this it may be too late for this um, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so I'm really hoping that it's going to be much better than I thought but I'm really I'm a little worried about that film now but you know why they didn't do it then because they didn't feel that there would be they didn't feel that the film would make any money hmm they wouldn't. They didn't feel that the make that the film would make money commensurate to what it needed to make. Mm-hmm. And if they were building, if they were building a universe, you know, that couldn't been that could not have been what at the time like the fifth film out the gate. But see, I, I feel like they should have what they should have done in that case. Listen, shoot it for fifty mil. You know what I'm saying? Make it a strong espionage thriller. We don't need you know like mm-hmm. that. The Black Widow trailer that I saw, one of the things that threw me off about it was that it seems like a huge over the top jumping out of airplanes, you know, doing the hero land. Um, mm-hmm. if, if it didn't feel like the espionage thriller, I thought we were going to get it feels like it feels like Spider-Man, you know, and that's that worries me. So I feel like, yeah, I, I get your point. But I think that back then they what they should have done is do, you know, sh- shoot it for 50 mil, do that, you know, low budget espionage type thriller. And probably mm-hmm. would have made a hundred mil. Now, I mean, there may have been other factors too. You know, they never really got the Hulk right as a, as a standalone film. Um, MCU did their version in 2008 with um, with Ed, Ed Norton, right. Edward Norton as the uh, as Bruce Banner, um, and then there was also the 2003 version uh, of the Hulk that was not related to the uh, MCU that starred Eric Bana. Um, but Hulk always did better in the context of an Avengers movie or, you know, as uh, you know, as a ghost face killer to Raekwon uh, scenario like he did when, in, you know, Thor Ragnarok. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, two, 2008, they were still early building the, the MC Marvel Studios was still early in building the universe. So that could have played a part in, well, you know, a standalone Black Widow film might not work because of, you know, they feel that. A lack of name recognition and lack of name recognition. Although Scarlett Johansson had name recognition, Scarlett Johansson playing it though. But you You know, know, but she's but she's playing a female superhero that men may not want to go see. 
Yeah, I, I think it was a mistake. In mass. Yeah, I think it was a mistake. Or that doesn't have that broader appeal. That's why I say, like, now, Black Widow, she got family. Right, you're right. But I, I, I feel like I agree both, with you that she may have missed her window, but... I feel like both from a business standpoint and from an artistic standpoint, it was a mistake. And I think maybe even Kevin Feige feels that way as well. Um, there was a really good story to tell at that point. They could have actually told her her origins or her evolution, you know, in real time at that point. Um, prior to her becoming a full-fledged Avenger. And I think that would have given a lot more weight to her character as an Avenger um, in those subsequent films. So, all right, well, I know we got to move on, but really quickly, um, I also think, I wonder, though, if this, if this, you know, quote-unquote failure at the box office for Birds of Prey, even though it's, it doesn't, it's not complete failure, I think they're going to recoup. Um, I wonder if that's going to make Warner Brothers slash the DCEU look at this and say, hmm, these standalone films that we're doing. Um, we've had a lot of success, you know, recently. Aquaman, <clears throat> Joker, even though Joker is not a part of the DCEU. Um, the original Wonder Woman. The original Wonder Woman and now the Wonder Woman coming up, which we assume is going to be a, a success. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if they can, you know, if they're going to think maybe this Harley Quinn thing would have worked out if we would have woven her into, you know, Aquaman or the upcoming Wonder Woman. You know what I'm saying? I wonder if it's going to make mm-hmm. them take another look at this standalone thing. That'll be interesting too. But all right. uh, What's next? Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah. Let's switch gears completely. So CBS all access CBS's premium streaming service. Um, What would you say? Their, 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 their paramount title. This is bait. This is their bait title. Yeah. To get you to Uh, Patrick Stewart returns um, in Star Trek Picard taking place. Uh, I think 20 years after we see him in, what was that, Nemesis, I think was the last film. Um, yeah, so I think it's 20 years later. He, uh, he's retired uh, at his chateau in France. And, um, you know, he's kind of a, he's kind of a homebody. <laughs> he's kind of not Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> <laughs> Not too yeah, he has a great he has a great he he has a great line in episode one. I think I think um, there will be four episodes by the time this show release. Now I've seen I've seen the premiere. I've seen mm-hmm. the first episode. I've seen, I'm um, caught up. I've seen, I've seen all four. I'm caught up. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've got some homework to do, mm-hmm. but we can still talk about episode one, this premiere, and how this how 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 this was looking. Um, I was. I wasn't confused, but I'm not entirely sure what this series is going to be about. Mm-hmm. He is dealing with uh, some feelings of guilt uh, about what had happened when um, uh, I believe it was the Romulan Sun uh, supernova mm-hmm. and uh, Starfleet's response to that event to evacuate the uh, the Romulan race. Um, what had happened when um, synthetics uh, pulled an order 66 and <laughs> that's a good way to phrase it man that's a good that's a good way to phrase it and they that's, destroyed uh, yeah, did it, like they that. destroyed settlements on Mars that were supposed to be yeah. havens for for the Romulans for the rescued Romulans I guess so yeah that sounds good I don't want to bastardize this because, you know, if you've got if you're a little stronger because you've seen all of Star Trek Next Generation. So you're well more versed in the foundational storyline 
and right. backstory of 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 Jean Luc right. than I am. Which makes me feel that they're kind of like you use the word bastardized just there. I feel like they are kind of bastardizing some of bastardizing in the worst in the in at the worst and at best they're retconning. It feels like some of Jean Luc Picard's past or his or even some of the next generation's um storylines or resolutions, you know. Mm-hmm. I okay. Since two thousand listen, yeah. since two thousand nine, I've heard the rumblings from, you know, certain sections of the Star Trek world that, you know, what they're doing with quote unquote modern Star Trek is like it ain't it ain't really hidden, basically is what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Now the two thousand nine Star Trek movie, you you and I saw it together. And I remember walking out of the theater being like, damn, that was really good. I didn't expect, you know, it to be that good. It was really right. Thrilling, the J.J. Really Abrams. Exciting. Right. Uh-huh. And I stand by that. It's a thrilling, exciting film. I get the grumblings from certain corners of the Star Trek world that it's it, it strayed too far away from what is actually Star Trek. It mm-hmm. went into like some Star Wars territory, you know, which like they're trying to compete with Star Wars. I get that. Um, and I think that really came to play in uh, Into Darkness, the second film. Mm-hmm. I think they rebounded a bit with Beyond. I, I think Beyond is a really good movie. Um, but yet and still, I, I get those grumblings, but I kind of was like, okay, this is a different type of Star Wars, but they've explained it by creating this alternate timeline. You know, So this isn't the Star Wars that we had with um, Next Generation or the original series in, in all the films that you know happened in the, in the uh, late 70s and 80s um, and 90s. It's different, and I was accepting of that. But I feel that man, this Picard is very different, Arthur. It's very, very different. Um, and I feel that I applaud the fact that they wanted to present something. It's almost like a character study, um, which is so different than what Star 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 Trek has always been an ensemble thing. You know, it's always been a collective. Even though you know you had right. your main characters. Um, and they all had their own things and we all we got time to spend with them to mm-hmm. kind of like look at them. We got time to look at data and see his struggles and look at Worf and see his struggles and look at um, Spock and Kirk and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Commander Riker, Commander Riker, but Troy. But it's always been a ensemble piece. And this feels like a character study. And I was I was cool with that. You know, I'm like, mm-hmm. OK, this is something different. Um but it brought me after watching these four episodes so far, it's made me wonder what, and this is the question I want to pose to you. What is Star Trek? You know, what is Star Trek? What is, um, you know, is, is this, is Picard Star Trek? Because as I'm watching this man, I don't feel Star Trek. You know, I feel like this is some Jason Bourne, uh, spy mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica Star Wars type you know stuff thrown mm-hmm. into this and it's just using like Star Trek set pieces like okay we have references you know to Klingons we got Romulans we got you know references to Vulcans we got uh, the Federation and you know mm-hmm. there's certain things that happen but it doesn't feel I'll put it to you like this I have recently gone back <clears throat> excuse me and started watching the original series because I'd watched I grew up on Next Generation yeah I watched bits and pieces of the original series now I've gone okay. back and I started the beginning and you know mm-hmm. I've, I've texted you I've fallen like deep I've gotten like all deep into the original series now mm-hmm. which probably isn't helping me in my <laughs> consumption of, of Picard but there's an episode I watched the other night original series season one 
This Side of Paradise. That was the name mm-hmm. of the episode. Long story short, they go to a planet. Um, everybody's happy on this planet. Find out it's some like, you know, plant that's like spraying everybody and making them forget everything and just making them gleeful and curing all their you know ailments. And so this, the Enterprise, every 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 crew member on the Enterprise falls under the same spell. They all leave the Enterprise mm-hmm. except Captain Kirk. He's the only one that's not affected. You know, he didn't get affected by the, the plant. So he's ordering people get back on the ship, blah, blah, blah. They're like, F you. We going down mm-hmm. to the service. You need to join us. So at a certain point in the in the show, in the episode, you know, he's alone. Kirk is. So he comes on the bridge and he stops for a second. And there's a scene where he's just standing there looking at the empty bridge and he's thinking mm-hmm. and you know what he's thinking, like, what the fuck I'm going to do? How am I going to get out of this? Yeah. Um, I won't ruin the episode and tell, tell you how he gets out of it or how what happens. But at that point, it made me it's just one of those moments in Star Trek that makes you realize what is Star Trek? Star Trek is a very intellectual show. It's a very almost like a detective series. Um, a problem is introduced usually within the first few minutes of a Star mm-hmm. Trek episode and or a conundrum, I should say, better, better, better term. A conundrum is introduced. And then we are left to scratch our heads like, how are they going to figure this out? Um, and then we spend the next, you know, 45, 50 minutes or whatever with them as they try to figure this out. And I get that for a lot of Star Trek people since 2009, that hasn't been the case. You know, we haven't gotten that level of intellectualism. Um, we've gotten a lot of action but we haven't gotten that little level of intellectualism. Right. I, w- I would argue though, we've gotten a lot of emotion. There's a lot of emotion in um, the, the 2009 Star Trek and in Star Trek Beyond, but we haven't gotten that level, I think, of intellectualism. Star Trek Picard is not, so far in four episodes, in my opinion, is not has not reached anywhere near those levels of intellectualism that we're looking mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. What it is, is is extremely existential. Um, mm. with a hammer, you know, it's like, it's like John Luke Picard, just like, you know, ruminating on, you know, what I've done and, you know, what Starfleet is now and what is my legacy and just all this stuff. That's like, when did, first of all, when did Picard get so talkative? When did he get so just, I could never, ever picture John Luke Picard just chilling out on a, uh, uh what do you call it? Chateau? Yeah. There's an episode, I don't know if you've gotten there, I know you're rewatching The Next Generation. There's an episode, I think early on, I think it's maybe the second or third season, where they deal with that already. They deal with him not being able to do something like that. That's all I'll tell mm-hmm. you, I want, I want to spoil it. Mm-hmm. But they mm-hmm. deal with that. And so now for them to portray him in this way, and he's just kind of like this, this little kind of docile old dude, it's just not feeling right to me. It's almost like, did the cats who are doing this, you know, Akiva Goldsman, I think is the executive or the creator, Michael Shabon, you know, I forgot who else. There's some actually some real Star Trek people involved with this show um, who've written novels. I think there's a, 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 a writer, a female writer who's written novels. I forgot her name. Um, and she's involved with the show, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like Star Trek. And I hate putting things in a box, but this don't feel like Star Trek, man. Well, you know, I accepted that this was an examination of Picard. I mean, literally as an old man, he's got he's an old man. He's got nothing to do but uh, get filled with fill up with regret and die alone. (laughs) What's that sound like? He was in another movie recently and Patrick Stewart talked about this. He talked about the fact that how much that movie, you know, impacted him. Mm hmm. 
And and I think what happened was his experience in that film, Logan as Professor X. I was gonna get to because it's like a it's like a Wolverine movie. That's what I'm saying, and I think it I think it impacted him. He's an executive producer on this. They had to beg him to come back. He didn't want to, you know, he was done with with Star Trek, but they you know they pitched him something, and I think he 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 put his own thing into it as well. And I think at this time in his life, I think he's 79 years old. It's understandable that he'd want mm-hmm. to explore some of these things. Right. But at the same time, man, it's like. Jean-Luc Picard is not Professor X. First of all, Professor X and Logan wasn't just old. He was damaged. You know what I'm saying? He had killed mm-hmm, everybody yeah. and he was just, he was all left up, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that they've invented this thing with Picard with the Romulans and, you know, the Martians and the synthetics, you know, what the, first of all, what the, a synthetic, what, when did that turn? It's like data wasn't Sound like synthetic. a liquid. Yeah. It's like, it's almost like, it's like a replicant. It's like, am I watching Blade Runner? You know what I'm saying? It's like, they don't, Star Trek, they don't trip on, you know, androids like that. And I mean, there was, you know, an episode and and this guy, the Maddox guy, he gets mentioned in this Picard series, but there was an episode in Generation, Next Generation, where some dude wanted to take apart, you know, Data and, you know, basically treat him like a piece of, you know, like a machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually it was Picard who stepped up and was like, no, he's, he's an individual. You know, he has rights, you know. Right. Um, and it was a great episode, man. And I'm like, we've already been there. So why now all of a sudden you like synthetics and they're they're walking around looking crazy and, um, you know, they're killing people. And they're, I'm like, what? Again, it's like Blade Runner. I'm watching, you know, and it's or it or even Terminator, you know, even some of the Terminator vibe is in here. And I'm just like, this doesn't feel Star Trek to me. Where is the intellectualism? Where is the conundrum? You know that we need to solve or we need to see them we need to see picard get involved in um and use his 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 wits and his his spirituality and his soulfulness to solve where is all that at i'm asking you arthur where is i know at? i'm trying to i'm i don't know i'm trying to find Tell it me and now. you know and i mean because you know because i get that i get that picard's relationship with data mm-hmm. you know he found data to be the best of what humans had yet to achieve, but had in them all along. Mm-hmm. You know, he held hate data as high regard. Yeah. Spit time and with him, uh, taught him his Shakespeare stuff and all, you know, it's like they, they, yeah, he, he grew because I mean, at the beginning of generations, he wasn't all that much in love with data. Right. Um, but he grew to really, really appreciate data. And then data sacrificed himself for him, for Picard and, and Nemesis. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I get, this is what really threw me that the female protagonist in the film in the film in the in in uh episode one mm-hmm. turns out to be data's daughter <laughs> mm-hmm. i felt like i immediately felt like uh, well i needed to watch all the seasons of next generation and and the last generation related movie to be able to fill in all of this information yeah. because this seemed to come so far left field that and I, I could follow conceptually the whole idea of well you know data had said that he always wanted a daughter and i remember the episode in in star trek generations where data finds his brother or finds you know another Lord. they're on this planet and they found another version of data who turns out to be you know, basically, you know, rogue, bizarro data. Mm-hmm. Um, Which they have not mentioned the lore in, in Picard. They haven't, in the four episodes I've seen, they keep talking about all this stuff with data and, you know, how hard it is. No one's mentioned lore, you know, with he has the emotion shit. No one's mentioned lore. 
Um, I don't want to spoil it for you, but I'll just also say no one's mentioning Data's mother. You know, mm-hmm. I, and there is an episode in Next Generation which will explain some of the daughter stuff to you. I think uh, I don't think you've gotten there, but it'll explain some of that. Not yet. But go Not ahead. I, I get what you're saying though. Because you know, Data didn't want Data didn't want to be alone. Data Data right. Data wanted to find you know his own family and get into the origin of his own existence. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone, and you get this in Picard in the series, you know, everyone regards Data as the pinnacle of achievement in development of Android slash synthetic mm-hmm. and. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and in artificial intelligence, and you know, if you don't it, like, like data is the seed to make this whole thing work. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it gets all <laughs> matrixy. It's just a weird show. It so gets far. weirder. It gets weirder, and the next few episodes answer some of those questions for you, but also in a way that's like, okay, it's fiction, so obviously we're making this shit up as we go along, right? That's the definition of fiction. Right. But there's also the idea that when you are working within a universe that has so much history, so many stories that came before it, so many stories that have fleshed out and kind of built the the architecture of this universe, designed this architecture, you pull from there. You know, you work, and I'm not saying you confine yourself, but you do work within the, you know, you're not going to do some, to your point, Matrix type shit in a Star Wars movie. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? It would just seem completely off, you know, it would just be weird. You know, like, wait, what the hell? Wait a minute. You're telling me that Anakin was a computer simulation and Tatooine never really existed. You know what I'm saying? It's like you don't do stuff like that. So here, I think I feel like watching these episodes, these writers, Akiva Goldsman and his crew, it feels like they are really making this shit up as they go along. In other words, they aren't really adhering to any of the architecture of Star Trek. And they do some stuff, man, that I'm like, Romulans do what? And so ba- basically, they're making uh, the rise of Skywalker. They're making the rise of Skywalker. You know, and it's 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 a problem that it's a problem that is, I think, somewhat inherent in modern storytelling in the sense that we want to, or I should say, some of these creators want to appeal or to fit within a certain place or to adapt certain sensibilities that they are throwing off. You know, again, that architecture. So I see when I'm watching, even in the first episode of Picard, it feels like there's this Jason Bourne element in there, you know, Mm -hmm. and then there's these spies and then there's these, you know, the Romulans have this, you know, secret spy espionage sect that's existed for thousands of years. I'm like, who I'm willing, listen, I'm willing to let all that go. My beef (laughs) is with the kind of, again, that, that kind of ignorance of the whole architecture of Star Trek. And Mm -hmm. It feels like, you know, as you as you watch the next three episodes, you'll see what I'm saying. But it feels like the writing is basically inventing stuff um, that's just convenient for the story that they want to tell. And there's a very big convenience factor, like almost, oh, we want to have this happen. So we'll just invent this whole other part of Romulan history to explain that. And they literally do that. And it's like instead of it being shown to you. It's told to you through exposition by characters. Oh, yeah, this has been going about. Jean-Luc never knew about Jean-Luc. Has been, he's, he speaks Romulan. The man has right. been, you know what I'm saying? He's been right. studying. He got Romulans living with him. He, he got Romulans. And now y'all bring this shit up? <laughs> it's like, you didn't tell me this before? You know what I'm saying? It's like, uh-huh. we've been living together. I'm, I'm, I could, I'm 80. I could die anytime. You holding all this information. It's like, 
it, there is a there is a strong feeling of that convenient storytelling that play, to your point plagued Rise of Star- Skywalker in my opinion I think yours too um, let's just invent this thing so we can have this scene that we want um, or this story that we want um, and then I'll say this and I'll get off of it there's also a very soap opera type feel to this um, they spend a lot of money on the show man as you can tell the first I mean it looks very cinematic I, I don't know how yeah. much the budget was for every episode but wow um, the show looks beautiful. You know, it's like it's very a good looking show. Um, I'm not crazy about the camera angles that they use in space. Um, the way that they show ships coming into that Borg thing, and then yeah, um, I'm not even crazy about the Borg being introduced so early. But anyway, um, it does feel very soap opery with kind of the um the young side, the young girls, Dodge or did what's her name? Dodge, Dodge, Dodge. And then another character that happens um, in the next episode, it does feel very soap opery. And that storyline is just, it's just like the guy you saw get introduced at the end of episode one, the, yeah. the Romulan, you know, he looks like a CW character. You know, he looks like, you know, the hot young, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. quote unquote, hot young, you know, uh, Romulan, you know, right, he's got the right. trench coat on and it's like, right. Is this like he just got like, through shooting arrow or something? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like he's gonna show up on Crisis on Infinite. Earth. It's just, it's just not, yeah. it's not good, man. That 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 part of it really threw me off, and it gets, it it gets drug out through the next like three episodes. So there are All some. Right. I'll give you this to end it on a high note. There are some highlights. There are some good moments um, that happen in episode three, and especially in episode four. Um, so it is worth watching i'm going to finish it because it is picard it's john luke you know i, I want to see what happens to do mm-hmm. um i believe they've already greenlit the second season of this so mm-hmm. cbs is feeling very very positive about this very strong about this um but again i think we need to do an episode another, a mad unreal episode in the future that really focuses on what i'm seeing as kind of this trend in storytelling of um these writers kind of involving like modern tropes and modern, you know, because you know, there's also this element of, you know, xenophobia and Im- immigrants and, you know, all these liberal things that, you know, the well-meaning liberals are so upset about right now because the world ended in 2016 and, you know, everything is bad now and we need to get back on track and then when everything will be good. Right. That's 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 in this show as well. And I think that we talked about it previously on on another episode of Mad and Real, but I think that we need to do another show that really dives into that and maybe bring the Watchmen into that conversation as well. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about the Watchmen to yeah, say it's like, yeah, okay, so. what's you know, what's weirder? Watchmen, Picard. Yeah, we yeah, we're gonna bring that in here as well. So okay. So that's that. That's that. More right. more on Picard to come in future episodes. Well, to end on a high note, um, the final season of Star Wars The Clone Wars begins February 21st. Yes, yes. And uh, after you all listen to uh, our first 007 and Counting episode, you can just go on Disney Plus and uh, start getting this in. I'm really looking forward um, to this this season coming back, to this series coming back for a final season. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what to say other than Ahsoka. Ahsoka. So listen, you and I both, you know, like we talked about before, we both deep into Rebels. Um, we've caught up on Rebels. I think we talked about the pre-show. We talked about that um, before we were actually recording. Um, so I'm 
I am. I'm at the point now. I'm wondering, man, really, you know, we talked about this before, but I'm really wondering and I can't be the only one that the best Star Wars storytelling is animation. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm I'm at that point where I'm because I'm like, I'm holding Empire. Well, Empire Strikes Back up here, you know, right. way at the top. Like, OK, right. that's top. That's number one. Right. And behind that to me is Clone Wars. And now I'm watching Rebels and Rebels season four. Come on. Mm-hmm. You know, Rebels. See, listen, the scene, you know, the Maul story, the 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 Darth Maul slash Maul story arc in Rebels. I loved him in Clone Wars, but the Maul story arc in Rebels is if you have not watched it, it's just worth watching it for that. You know, it's just it's phenomenal. Um, and then this. OK, so I'm that's where we are now. That's where my head is at in Rebels right now. So then preparing for um, Clone Wars in Rebels, we got, you know, grown Ahsoka. Um, right. We got grown Ahsoka. And it's no spoiler to say we get grown Ahsoka um, learning that, you know, Darth Vader is Anakin, you know, that's right, which right. is a very emotional, probably one of my top, probably maybe, maybe top three um, emotional moments in Star Wars at period, you know, for me. Um, so, yeah, this, you know, the announcement that the Clone Wars is coming back last year, you know, we talked about it, how excited we are. But to me, what storylines are, are we most excited about to see, you know, carry it on? It sounds like for you, the number one is Ahsoka. Yeah, I want to see, I hope to be able to see Ahsoka Tano's transition from ousted Padawan. Because mm-hmm. she had the entire Jedi Order turn her turn their back on her. Right, except for Anakin. You know, um, well, except for Anakin, but I remember that he was that he was even conflicted. Because for a while, he, went out, he when he stood up for her, he wouldn't accept it. He would not accept that she was had been had done what she was accused of doing. I agree with that, but wasn't he trying to kind of like quote unquote talk sense into her? Maybe a little, but he went out on at a the limb. at the at the beginning when she was kind of saying, "Hey, you know, you all got to check this out because here and here and here and here." Because I remember he was hipping her to like, "Look, you know, they're looking at you because right, they right. think." You know, right. they think you're the agent. They think this. Right. But, um, and, but he went out on a limb for her to make sure to prove her innocence. Because not one, because that's his girl. and He loves her. Right. Right. But also because Anakin knows how it feels to be the outsider because he was he's never been truly accepted by the entire Jedi Order. Um, so he yeah, he went out on limb for her. So he was the only one even even uh, Kenobi, you know, was like, nah, you know, we, you know, the, she she needs to do X, Y and Z. And then when they found out they were wrong. They all tried to apologize, right? Um, and I, yeah, that was one of the best scenes with just Ahsoka being like, "Okay, I accept your policy, but I'm out." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that was that's mm-hmm. when if she wasn't your girl before, then she definitely becomes your yeah. girl then. Yeah, and I mean, picking up from that, I, I would really like to see the transition from her from her walking away, mm-hmm. but continuing her study to where she connects with. Rebels or with so the cool. rebel, yeah, with the rebel, with the rebel alliance, and then becomes Fulcrum, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is the you know the inside advisor sending sending coded messages to uh, well sending encoded messages to um, Hera and Rebels, the captain mm-hmm. of the Ghost ship, um, mm-hmm. Hera and and um, and um, Kanan and um eventually uh oh man i can't say this cuz you're not at that part yet yeah, so yeah, yeah, i'll just yeah. say that but i'd like to see i'd like to see that that arc to connect clone wars the series 
to Rebels the series because you know mm-hmm. the I mean because of these two cartoon series particularly the Clone Wars mm-hmm. the most interesting period in Star Wars lore for me is from episode two through episode four mm-hmm. you mean a- are you, you mean after Attack of Clones are you, are you including Attack of the Clones well I'm including really after Attack of the Clones but I mean I'm I, from a period standpoint you know, that the Attack of the Clones films at least sets up the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Then you have the animated series that connects Attack of the Clones to Revenge of the Sith. Right. And then after Revenge of the Sith, you have Rebels, the cartoon mm-hmm. series, mm-hmm. and the growth of the Empire. And then you have Rogue, Rogue One, One, the film. Right. Then you have episode four a new hope the original 1977 star wars film i think Mm -hmm. that is the most and and then of course empire strikes back that is the most interesting story arc yeah i think i agree because i mean it's that one period that you're mining all of this quality material from right right and we're just now getting quality material in the post jedi you know uh, with the mandalorian but Mm -hmm. i agree with you that's that's the richest area and for me listen like everybody else, I was in Star Wars prior to the prequels. But the prequels, you know, were an exciting moment because it was like Star Wars is back. But then, you know, the disappointment that a lot of us felt in the prequel storytelling, even if yeah. even if we love the information that we got or the the visuals, you know, the disappointment that a lot of us had in this especially in the first two films, um, it kinda, you know, it lessened my interest, you know, in Star Wars. But when it was it was the Clone Wars, it was the animated series, the Clone Wars, that not only drew me back in, but like grabbed me and like like quicksand, you know, what I'm saying mm-hmm. just like drug me completely under. Um, it was the Clone Wars animated series. Mm-hmm. And so to hear it coming is coming back for because you remember the, the sixth season was preempted. I think that it was canceled or, you know, Cartoon Network did their or Disney pulled it off or whatever after season five. Yeah. Season six became the quote unquote lost episodes. They're available now on they were available on Netflix. Now they're available on Disney Plus. Um, so you can see all those. But this seventh season is Dave Filoni's chance to end it the way he wanted to end it. Um, and from the previews, it looks like we're going to get everything from Ahsoka's journey um, that you want. But we're also going to get glimpses of um, Anakin and uh, Padme during Sith. We mm-hmm. may or right up until the beginning of Sith. Mm-hmm. And then we may even get, if rumor holds true, Order 66 and the aftermath of that. Because my, you know, Ahsoka, I'm like you, Ahsoka is the storyline I want to see. But then right after that, I want to see the clone storyline, man. It was the clones themselves that made me, that drug me under, you know, like I said, in the, with yeah. the quicksand. It was that episode, Rookies, I believe it was in the yep. first, I think it was season one, maybe episode one. six or something like that. Rookies that really like just, I remember, I, I think I called you or something like, dude. Yeah, you did. You did. What the yeah, hell? Because you got me watching. That's how you got me watching it. Yeah. Right. Because I was like, is this, this, I'm like, they went there, like Rex turned around and capped somebody dead in the head. You know what I'm saying? It was like, yeah. what is going on? So the clones to me, especially Rex, um, they are, you know, they, they, you, there were times watching the Clone Wars where I was much more into them than I was into Ahsoka or Anakin, you know, mm-hmm. or anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really, really interested in seeing what happens to them. And then, of course, yeah, I want to see, you know, Anakin and 
add more layers to his story to give us a better idea of, you know, what made him now we, you know, we have, we have all the information we need as far as what made him turn to the dark side. Right. But there's, you know, it's given to us in Sith, but I feel like you add more layers to that. We need more layers, make it richer. You know, I know they've done it in the novels, they've done it in the comics, but I want to see even more layers added to that. Cause the Anakin that exists in the clone wars, the heroic, you know, light side air Anakin, um, to see him, you know, switch like that to the point where he's, you know, killing younglings and, um, you know, Sith. Yeah, man, we need to, I want to get as much of that as possible. So clone wars, uh, yeah. season seven, February 21st, Disney plus, um, there will be some definite mad unreal content coming that will. Address, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, we gotta, clone we gotta wars. close a lid on this, but I, I just want to bring one last thing up, which is, uh, there's a, a Clone Wars series preview um, that features the Bad Batch clones that were yeah, maybe underdeveloped, that. Yeah. you know, and they're shock troopers. Mm-hmm. And knowing that it does, it takes a lot of time to create uh, animated content. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, the idea and and the story development for the Mandalorians series um, probably paralleled mm-hmm. the development for the Clone Wars. I'm wondering if there are going to be connections. I think so. Um, you know, there's some sort some something happens with Mandal- Mandalore that you know that dark saber ends up in Moff uh, uh, Gideon's hands. Gideon's hands. Uh huh. So I think we're going to get more Mandalorian culture, more Mandalorian stuff in this uh, this Clone Wars mm-hmm. season about to happen. I wonder yeah. if Obi Wan is going to be included with that. If Kenobi is going to be a part of. Oh uh, yeah, the Kenobi series. Um, well, the Kenobi series, but I mean, we haven't seen animated Kenobi yet in in in, in this season of, of yeah, in any in all the previews that I've seen of Clone Wars, and there haven't been many, but I haven't seen Obi Wan. They showed a quick clip of him. Yeah, it was really quick. I don't even think they've shown him talking yet, speaking yet. So, yeah, that's another thing I want. I'm, I'm with you. I want to because with Dave Filoni involved with this and involved with you know so heavily with the Mandalorian, um, you got to think that they're thinking, okay, we can lay some groundwork here that we can then explore you know, what, 20, 30 years later in, uh, in Mandalorian. So I'm excited, man. I'm excited. So yeah, I, I can't wait to get into that. And then again, for us to be able to talk about it on this show, it's going to be really cool. Yeah. All right. So that's going to be a, uh, a full lid on this, uh, episode of the return, the return, the return of Mad Unreal. Um, we'll see you in two weeks for our, uh, our next episode, episode 11, but 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 we implore you check your feed uh this friday for the beginning of our 007 and counting series um our commentary leading up to um the april release of no time to die the final daniel craig james bond film um that's all i got man yo so hit us up on a twitter um let us know your thoughts on anything we talked about today anything coming up blah 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 hit us hashtag uh, hashtag hashtag Real. yeah make sure you hashtag mad Real so we see it um and we will be talking we got a lot of stuff coming up this year so it's about to be really interesting can't really tell you guys too much right now but there's a lot of things about to happen um so yeah so just look out for more information and um definitely check out 007 and counting um two days from now all right peace